there's part of me that's going, this is, this painting is really well done. Mm-hmm. You know, this is how I'm making my living at the time is, right. is painting. So I'm, I see that, but then I'm like, the subject matter is really callous. Like this, this guy had a family. What, right. you know, what do they think when they see this? So I took it to work with me. And one of the artists that I worked with who I really admired, I showed it to him. I was like, what do you, what do you think of this? And he immediately said, he's not falling, he's floating. Um, <laughs> we do this every time where we're like, okay, and here we go. And then so, we go, yeah. yeah! <laughs> what, what the heck is up, everybody? Welcome to Dear Lander, a purely Lan Diego podcast. I'm Jordan. I'm Amara. Today we have a very special guest, Chris Hampton. Woo-hoo! Oh, yeah. What's up, team? I'm excited to be here. I've, I've loved listening and learning about the people of Lander, so I'm psyched. It's so fun. Because I also learn a lot about the people of Lander because we know different people. So mm. yeah. mm. it's awesome. And I didn't grow up here. So can I just can I just jump in right here in the beginning? <laughs> Please. And yeah, say, absolutely. Yes. Lana and I sat up here one day working, listening to the episode with your grandma. Uh-huh. Oh, great episode. And I bet we rewound and re-listened to different parts like 25 times oh my god it was so fun what parts were you uh <laughs> especially with, lana's an old woman at heart you know she's mm-hmm. she's a like ancient soul so she thinks it's all amazing and she wanted to hear lots of parts but the part i loved was the the fights with riverton yeah oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah no it's it's crazy grandma um tells that story a bunch and then grandpa also tells stories and there's just such like 50s yeah like grandpa actually had a crew it was him and his two brothers and they drove hot rods and they went by the sinners and i think grandpa's kind of embarrassed like when you mention <laughs> that shit now does he have like a leather jacket with sinners across nah, the back no but he totally had like a like a 53 t-bird or something oh, it was, it was like turquoise amazing. and i just love like a 50s Romeo Juliet story where they meet at El Toro and yeah yeah the yeah, fights and the rivalry the and my dad said there there was fights in Lander and Riverton until cops started carrying pepper spray <laughs> like it's, <laughs> it's kind of the way he put it there was like it used that to be way intense awesome and yeah. very feral and I love it <laughs> I know yeah it makes sense out here too oh for sure mm-hmm. yeah there's, there's a lot of space to fight I, I remember you mentioning that dude I am so happy to have you on because one, you're a a podcast god, and two, you're just like a really cool individual in the community that I feel like we haven't really gotten to know each other super well until um, like the last few years, specifically through like May Rats. And you did the sound. I think my the first time like I heard your name was. At the Houlihan narratives, like at that first one, yep. you did the sound you, for them. You yeah. spoke it. You spoke it one or two. Um, the first two. one or the second one. Wolf I spoke was it the in the first one, one yeah, yeah. right? Wolf spoke because we s- were there. We were there together. Or oh. was it Griffin? No, I can't even. Remember. I can't remember. Griffin was also at one of the first ones. Yeah. So was Wolf though. Because mm-hmm. I, because those were all mm. of my leadership kids, and so uh. I'm like, I will fork out. All of the money. <laughs> I remember just being like Jordan. And I bought like six tickets. Like I just, I was so worried I wouldn't. 
have a ticket to go see everybody speak. And so I would yeah. just like buy a stupid amount of tickets and be like, anybody want to go? Like, And that yeah. was packed too. That like, one was that packed. That one was nuts. Yeah. yeah. It was jam-packed in that little room. Oh, it was so fun. So that was the first time that I had heard your name mentioned. And then also we're really tight uh, with Mel and Blaine. Shout out to Mel and Blaine. Blaine talks about you all the time, man. Mm. And Blaine really looks up to you and we often talk about and just because we both like love hip hop, I feel like every time I go over to their house, we jump down this rabbit hole. And you and I jumped down the same rabbit hole when you invited me to your house like a few years ago. And that was yeah, just like, it's like so refreshing. You know, I, I remember the first time I heard your name in particular was May talking about uh, there was a I can't remember his name. You you all had a mutual friend who passed away. Joe McGowan. Yes, exactly. Yeah. There was some, at the same time, there was like art being done on skateboards and you had yeah. done some art uh, to memorialize him. And she told me you were also making music. Mm-hmm. And and I went and checked that out. And ever since then, I sort of just watched. I like to sit back and observe yeah. for a long time. Uh, and sort of learn the landscape before I jump into anything. But I do like to just reach out to people and say, hey, I love what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. If we ever get the chance to, let's sit down and talk. You, you know, bet. so so that's when I reached out. Can we just pause for a second, though? Speaking of Jordan's music and talk about Dinwiddie for a second. Oh, yeah, let's. I cannot. Every time. So what was the song that you recommended for my playlist? I can't remember the, the name of it. Uh, Velvet on the inside. Vel- yes, that's mm. what it is. Velvet on the inside. And every time it comes on my Spotify, I'm like, damn, this is so good. And then you come in and you're rapping and I'm like, oh, right, this is Jordan. And I get because it's just it is so amazing. And it's like. A wonderful surprise every time it comes on. Like, I love that song so, so much. Yeah. Thank you so much. I do too. I do too. And when I, when it first comes on for me, because it does come up in playlists for me too, the woman's voice, I don't know Mm -hmm. her name. Liv, yeah. um, Her voice is so like soulful. Oh, it's so beautiful. That I, it doesn't occur to me that it's a, a current song for a minute. Yeah. Same. Um, it's, it feels, old and it feels like something that's been played on the radio for the last 40 years you know when i first hear her voice for sure which is why it surprises me every time and i'm like (laughs) oh right like this is jordan's band like this is jordan's music i just forget because it's just yeah exactly that and i don't know live so like well shout out to live too hey live really quick yeah i met the the story that live and i have is also very cool and just kind of by happenstance, the very first show I ever did was in Billings at this like little restaurant right behind like the tallest building in Montana. And it was at a restaurant called Don Luis. And it was the very first show I ever performed. And I met Liv and the crew that she was running with in downtown Billings when I lived there for a year. And we hung out and then obviously like followed each other from afar on social media but but kind of drifted apart this was before gem sent pack and i went to laramie and mortimer heights and all of that so fast forward um god eight eight years later i moved to missoula and i'm walking down the street and like guess who i see skateboarding (laughs) with her dog and i shout yo what are you doing what are you doing here and that's like how we linked up and we started kind of hanging out 
and she had been doing music and singing. I mean, ob- like obviously, like shout outs to Liv. She is the next single that we're going to be releasing is my favorite song on the album. And Adrian Ashley, who's from Lander, has some vocals that she's going to be doing on this song too. And it is, I, I just cannot wait. It's called Neptune. And Neptune is just like some of the best vocal and, and songwriting and the way that she put it together. She's just a brilliant artist and I don't have enough good things to say about Liv. And I I'm just so wait. thankful that yeah, yeah, we're doing the Dinwoody thing. I saw you post about it the other day, and now I'm eagerly anticipating. Same. Man, yeah. Like, okay. The beats are yours. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I did produce them. Yeah. Well, I love, love, love the beats. Um, I've been like diving back into making beats myself, and mm-hmm. and I'm a little jealous of how good you are at it. Oh my god, dude. Um, <laughs> no. Awesome. And and there's obvious like time put into time and care put into the lyrics and mm. into what you're saying. And I can hear the Blue Scholar influence for sure. Oh, totally. Um, you know, I think I would have heard it even if you hadn't told me that you loved the Blue Scholars, but mm-hmm. I, I hear a little bit of that same poetic uh, influence. Yeah. I love it. Yo, thank you. Well, let's transition. I was your say, musician. <laughs> yeah, tell us more about... <laughs> well, I was going to say, like, tell us more about your music and how you got into it and kind of mm-hmm. your your journey into that because obviously now I'm very intrigued. I think it all sort of goes back to the fact that I was just a rebellious kid. Um, I grew up in Cincinnati in a very, very white, very, very racist neighborhood. Like lots of mm-hmm. lots of biker gang. It was a very it was a biker gang neighborhood essentially. Um KKK members, you know, in the late 70s were still around there. Very, very racist. And uh, when I was about eight, I guess, somewhere around there, a neighbor moved in and he had a tape, uh, a fat boy's tape. Mm-hmm. When he played it, it was like my fucking world exploded. It, I had never awesome. heard anything like that. You know, there was no hip hop played on the radio at the time. Yeah. And especially where I lived. When I heard it, I was just like, this, this music speaks to me. You know, nothing my parents had ever played made me care about music at all. As soon as he played that, I was like, I need to hear more of that. Like, I need more. And he had a bunch of tapes. Um, and I, th- I think he had lived in New York before he came, but he had a bunch of tapes. Um, so we would listen to these tapes and we would go down in his basement and I learned to break dance down in his basement. And then we would start going to skating rinks and break dancing mm-hmm. and... And eventually I was like, oh, I think I could write raps too, you know? So we would go buy cassette singles that had the instrumental on the B-side and I would write raps to these instrumentals. And and then I would get like a dual tape deck and record my vocals like with my face pressed against the boom box so that the mic could hear me um, while playing the instrumental in the other tape deck. So so what year is this? That was in the 80s, so probably around 80, probably around 85 is when I first recorded a song. So this is like NWA is like just about to... Yeah, yeah, I was really into like Native Tongues. Mm -hmm. Um, Around this time, I was starting to get into the Native Tongue type stuff, and then, then NWA came, and there was this whole new like, oh, it's not... There's there is good music that's also really hard. I was really into the more 
poetic flowery stuff for a while. And then I learned about all this hard stuff and went down that road. And, and really the influences came from, from everywhere. Once I was in it, I couldn't get enough of it. Word for sure. Do you still have those tapes? I don't. Dang it. You know what I do have? (laughs) Let me show you this. It's like, wouldn't that be so awesome to listen to those? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) This was the first tape I ever put out. 1991. Amazing. Oh my God. Ace in the we'll hole. Bo- we'll post a picture of it <laughs> on our Instagram. 1991. And I, I didn't have a copy. And after I graduated high school, a guy I graduated with <laughs> was like, he called me up and was like, I just found in a box of stuff, your tape. And I was like, no fucking way. Shut up, <laughs> He was like, you should come and get it. Like, Look you, at you have this to have artwork. <laughs> I, I know. cannot. This is so fucking uh, cool. I love that this came back to you. I know. You had to record them in real time, yeah. you know? So oh, man, we were just recording them on cassettes and tapes, making man. each cover ourselves. Wait, so you drew this? Well, it was a Xerox. I, I cut out a picture of my friend Joe and I, put it on a playing card. And Xeroxed it. And then we I would write the stuff on the back and all that. <laughs> I almost want to burst into tears uh, because so I'm like, good. this is so cool to me. Dude. It was so fun. Well, we have to listen to it later. <laughs> I, yeah, must, I, would, I, I don't even have a way to play it. <laughs> <laughs> Does anybody have an old car? Like, <laughs> you just... Oakley has an old car. Oh, She's she got a tape deck. We, we, Everybody that's, get an Oakley's car. That's like car. the right car to be bumping <laughs> oh, this for into. Too. <laughs> for real. Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to put it right here for right now. That is amazing. <clears throat> okay, continue. So you start recording music. What was it like to kind of fall in love with hip hop and want to create and learning to b-boy and all of that and then also growing up in the town that you came up in? It was... I mean, there were definitely some some rough moments. Like, uh, I got into a lot of fights. Mm-hmm. You know, I was dressing very much like I was a rapper at the time, you know? Yeah. You know, I'm 16 years old at this point, mm-hmm. so I'm like, I have to dress the part. And that let the whole neighborhood know, like, he's different. So I got into a lot of fights, um, spent a lot of my childhood fighting which which was fine. It seemed fun at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I was good at it. So I'm like, yeah, let's go. Uh-huh. And and I was told several times I was the next N-word to be ran out of the neighborhood. Um, okay. Because the neighborhood had a, a history of that. Wow. But ultimately, you know, that stuff, I think at that point I had listened to so much uplifting hip hop and like wanted to be more intelligent because of hip hop that I just never let that stuff get to me. And ultimately, it was like a drop in the bucket compared to the struggle that the people who were making the music that was inspiring me were going through. So I'm like, no big deal. I'm going to keep doing this regardless. Cool. When does climbing come in for you? Climbing was quite a bit later. Um, Climbing came after high school was over. I graduated in 1993. Mm Mm-hmm. There was a period there where I fell out of love with hip hop for a while. Like we were on hiatus. I was still listening to like the older stuff, but I just wasn't feeling the newer stuff, which I think is a constant battle for everybody with all music, you know? No, totally. I was getting into a lot of trouble at the time and I needed a way to keep myself out of trouble. 
and and that's how climbing came in. I had been I had gotten locked up and I got out on shock probation. I was sentenced to four and a half years. I only ended up doing six months on a shock probation. I had violated my probation pretty soon after I got out. Okay. And I had a probation officer who was super hard-nosed. Her name was Casey Denoma. She went to bat for me, lied to the judge about these great things I was doing, and the judge let me off of my probation violation. It was like, I'm giving you another chance. And at that point, I was like, I have to do something else with my time. You know, I can't hang around the people I am. I can't be in the neighborhoods I'm in. I need to find something else to do. So I bought a membership to the climbing gym. I had been there twice, I think. And I went every day. I would mm. get up. If I wasn't going to work in the morning, I would go straight to the climbing gym. And this is still in Cincinnati? Still in Cincinnati. Cool, okay. It was a climbing gym that I could walk to from my neighborhood, the neighborhood I'd grown up in. So I had seen it. Um, walking the railroad tracks um, from my neighborhood. And I had visited it once or twice. And I, I was like, that was really fun when I went there. I'm going to go there. And I was just there every morning and, until the guy was like, you should just vacuum the floors in the mornings and then you don't have to buy a membership anymore. Okay. And that became my second home. So I could keep myself out of the streets. So were you bouldering mostly or were you doing any top rope stuff? No, I was all sport climbing back then. Okay. Um, bouldering wasn't really popular yet. Uh, the Red River Gorge is about two and a half hours away from Cincinnati and is for sure one of the best sport climbing areas on the planet. So I was really lucky to be able to get there pretty often. So spent a lot of time there, a lot of time climbing. And then this like weird confluence of the two happened where the my partners and I all listened to hip hop so I would just be freestyling in the car making up lyrics in the car yeah jokingly I was starting to record some music again and jokingly in the studio one day I was like you know just just let me get loose in here for a minute did a song about climbing posted it on the internet and it was like MySpace days back then yeah oh, and it and it took off like the climbing world fucking loved it so when you say it took off what was that what was that like and what kind of took off are we talking about like how big were the how big was that how viral were you yeah <laughs> i don't even know what viral is necessarily but <laughs> and and it was myspace days so i bet it was downloaded i think i put it on a website called soundclick back then mm -hmm. and it was downloaded like 10,000 times in the first few Dude. days. Whoa. That's awesome. <laughs> and I was just like, who the hell is listening to this <laughs> ridiculous song about climbing, you know? It was a it was a joke to mm -hmm. me. Like I was just joking around making this thing. People found it really fun, so I just kept making them, made more and more of them. It's <laughs> Can you still find it on the internet? It's still out there for sure. Yeah. And actually the very first one I made was used in a film uh, climbing film years and years later they contacted me and were like can we use this song in our film and i was like sure i guess <laughs> like, i don't know why you would do that but go ahead and at this time um you were doing murals for a little while too yeah yeah, yeah i've lived a lot of lives jordan um, i love that <laughs> yeah that's how i made my living for about 20 20 or 25 years was mm. painting murals and doing decorative wall finishes in cincinnati cool so were you like doing murals and then 
were you making um were you making any revenue off of like the climbing songs or any of that yeah weirdly i still get money from it amazing like I, that's so cool i still get money just about every month from those old songs that are still like 59 cent downloads or something on the internet Whoa. somewhere i don't even know how to access that account i don't know what it is but it shows up in my paypal still and yo yeah. that's awesome <laughs> but the but the thing that music did that was maybe most important was uh the company prana Mm -hmm. uh, my friend Devaki worked for the company Prana and she heard the music. Somebody played it for her and she got in touch with me and was like, we would love to like put you in Prana clothes and then fly you around to climbing festivals all over the country to perform. No way. And I was like, great. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, let's, obviously. let's do that. So. So I just kept making climbing music and flying around all these climbing festivals. And mm -hmm. and ultimately, that like festival circuit and that push to make climbing music is what landed me here. Mm, okay. Ooh, tell us more. Yeah. I wrote a song called Float about Todd Skinner um, mm -hmm. right after he passed away. And I had sampled uh, another climber's music, uh, my friend Misty Murphy. I had sampled a song of hers to to make the beat, and then I wrote this song, and I put it on MySpace. Uh, about, I don't know, a few months later, <clears throat> I get a message from Emily Tilden, who was the festival director at the time. She's like, I, I only made a MySpace account so I could get a hold of you. <laughs> so please email me back, because I will never check this you know, MySpace account, <laughs> but please email me. We would love to have you come out to the Climbers Festival in Lander and perform some of your music, including Float. I was like, sure, I'd, I'd love to do that. And I, I think I'd had a conversation with Becca Skinner mm. uh, on the internet um, because of the song. So I come out here to Lander and I meet uh, Amy Skinner and my friend Misty, who sings the, the hook of the song um, from her sampled song came as well. And Misty and I had never met before we're about to perform. And I know Amy Skinner and the kids and Becca are all out there in the audience, but I haven't met them yet. So I'm very nervous. Mm -hmm. Like I'm about to perform this song about their loved one yeah. and this whole town's loved one that I never met. And after and that rap, show, yeah. yep, yep. And this is two. 2006 2007 yeah somewhere around there i i'm terrible with dates unless Weird. it happened right around like 1993 when i graduated from high school i can't tell you the date or 97 when my daughter was born that's mm. about it yeah <laughs> but i performed the song we, we do we do this long set um about an hour long set 45 minutes something like that and after the show sarah skinner who at the time is very little now goes by Anatolia, but at the time she was Sarah Skinner. She walks up to me, this tiny little blonde headed child and says, you're better than Johnny Cash. Uh, and I was oh. like, what? <laughs> Who are you? And I need to know you better. So I, you know, I met Amy and all the kids then and really wanted to come back the next year to get to know them better. So yeah. the festival had me back the next year to perform again. I came a little early to come to the 4th of July parade mm -hmm. and Amy introduced me to their nanny who is now my wife mm. at, at the 4th oh. of July that next year. So, mm. okay. 
so it all came to this weird confluence, you know, climbing and hip hop all sort of conspired to drastically change my life. That is really cool. Yeah. So then, okay, so then you you meet your now wife. When did you move to Lander? Mm-hmm. Uh, I was I was very smitten immediately. She looked really good in a sundress. And <laughs> and I had to come back, you know. I yeah. was like, like I just followed her around like a puppy dog the rest of that week. It got her number the last night mm. um, and was like, I, I have to come back. I have to, you know, talk to this girl more. My friend Devaki from Prana was in Salt Lake and she and I were talking and she's like, well, you know, I can just leave my car at the airport and you can fly in get in my car, drive to Lander, and just drop it back off to me on the way back to the airport whenever you want to. And I was like, okay, then I'm going to spend weekends in Lander. At the time, plane tickets were really cheap, so I was flying down here like once a month from Cincinnati, and I would land in Salt Lake and get in Devaki's car and drive it here and try to set something up with her for the weekend. And I think the first time I came back, I had never met May Rats, mm-hmm. but I knew they were friends. So I hit May up on maybe Facebook at this point mm-hmm. and was like, hey, you don't know me, but I need your help with something. Can you figure out a way to get Annalisa like, free for the weekend? I don't mm-hmm. want to tell her I'm coming. Amy said we could use the mountain house and I just want to get her away from all her like things she has to do for the weekend. So May made up this story about what they were going to do. Okay to get Annalisa to take off work. <clears throat> and then it turns out May actually has to work. So Annalisa's <laughs> just sitting. I think she worked at uh, Asian Cuisine. Do you remember Asian Cuisine? Oh, yeah. do I? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I loved that place. Yeah. yeah, I wish it was still there. Shout out to Ted. Hey, Ted. <laughs> What's up, Ted? <laughs> but I think May worked there at the time. And so she brought Annalisa to work with her and was like, I'm going to be off work soon. Then we'll go, we'll go do things, you know? And Annalisa was getting a little suspicious. Like, why am I here? Why am I sitting and watching you work? You know, but, but then I showed up and, mm. and all was well. Oh, and so, so what was Annalisa's reaction? She was very surprised. Uh-huh. Um, and I think she thought I was a little out of my fucking mind. Like <laughs> <laughs> I'm just coming to Lander for the weekend. And and then I did it a few more times over the next month or two. Yeah. And eventually I was like, she was taking a road trip and I'm like, you should come and visit in Cincinnati. You know, you can you can stay for a couple of days or you can stay, stay for a month or you can stay forever I if you want. Say, or you yeah. can stay forever. <laughs> um, so she came to Cincinnati and stayed for seven years, I think. Not seven years, mm. five years. And Weird. then we then we came here. And when you, so when you came to Lander and you arrived, were you... Like when I moved here, moved here? Um, or just when I showed up and... I guess like first impressions. Yeah. What was your first impression of Lander? And also, were you hitting, you know, the Sinks Canyon, the Wild Iris? Were you up in the winds? Um, what was that like? So there's a, there's a little town in West Virginia uh, called Fayetteville, and the New River Gorge is right there. <clears throat> and I had fallen in love with this tiny little town. It's kind of out of the way... There's amazing climbing nearby, and the people are incredible. And my first impression of Lander was that it was a lot like Fayetteville uh, for several reasons. Um, it had great climbing nearby. The people were super welcoming. And there was this really strong contingent of women. That's the first thing that struck me. 
Mm-hmm. It's like there are all these women in this town, many of whom have lost people really close to them. Yeah. And maybe that's, you know, they've been bound by that that fire that they had to go through. I was really enamored by the that group of of women. The, you know, the Amy Skinner, Annalisa May, Emily mm-hmm. Tilden. There were all these like fierce women here. Yeah. And that that really left an impression on me. That was certainly my first impression of it. I was here for the festival, so it was very chaotic and I didn't get a ton of climbing in. But both Sinks and Wild Iris, I climbed at that first trip. And I was a really young, like, go-get-it climber. I just, I really wanted to do everything. Yeah. So I saw enough of the area to to know I needed to see more. Word. And know that I was going to come back, whether it was for the festival or not. And I would say, out of all the climbing areas I've visited, Lander's certainly one of the top climbing towns that I've been to in the world. There's a little town in Australia that reminds me of Lander. Mm -hmm. And then Fayetteville and New River reminds me of Lander. Um, So the three of those are like these real gems of climbing towns. What is is the small town in Australia called? It's uh, Blackheath. Blackheath. Yeah. Really cool. Great little restaurants. um, Great art gallery owned by a climber. And just very cool, welcoming community. Yeah. Really, really similar to, to Lander in, in those regards. And do you remember, um, or like currently, what are some routes that stick out to you, that mean a lot to you, that are some of your favorites? I think, I mean, certainly Wind and Rattlesnakes is one of my favorites at Wild Iris. Yeah. I knew Amy had done it, you know, was the first Ascensionist. Uh, at the time that I did it, BJ Tilden took me over there, and and at the time that I did it, it was a really proud on-site for me. When I was a young girl, I had me a cowboy as another one of Amy's roots. Yeah, that was my I think it was my first five thirteen out of the the southeast U.S. And it was I was trying it, and there had been draws hung on it. I don't know how familiar you are with climbing terminology, but yeah. It had the the gear in place already. And it okay. was during the festival week, so people were trying it, and that's why the gear was in place. I was really close to doing it, and I had talked somebody into hiking back there with me the the last day that I was going to be in town. I'm like, I'm going to keep my pack light. I'm not going to take any extra gear. It's already got gear hanging on it. We get all the way back there, and somebody has already taken their gear off of it, so there's nothing there. Mm-hmm. And we scrounge in our packs for just carabiners that we have. And so we've got a few locking carabiners. We've got maybe one quick draw. I try the route just hanging single carabiners on the bolts and clipping those, which is a a throwback to, you know, the late 80s, early 90s style of climbing. And I get to the very top. The There's one hard move left, and there's this enormous butterfly sitting on the hold that I'm about to go to. Mm. And I'm just like, I'm shouting at it and trying to blow it off the wall and, <laughs> and it's not budging. So I just drop off. I can't, I can't smash this butterfly and, in, in right. the, you know, trying to do this route. And then the butterfly flies away and I do the route next try and yeah. we hike out. So like last minute attempt, um, that one felt really special at the time. And I'd say the other really special route for me 
in Wild Iris is called, or just outside of Wild Iris at the Sweat Lodge, is called Ghost Dance. Um, it's a 13C that I had given up on. Yeah. I was like, can't do it. You know, there's this move that's just stopping me. It's done. This is our last day. Not going to happen. Annalisa was like, you need to try one more time. You know, you, you have to try one more time. I'm, I'm not leaving yet, so you need to try one more time. Mm-hmm. And I gave it one more attempt, did the route, and we were supposed to have dinner at Amy's mountain house, which was nearby right after. So we go to dinner and Paul Piana is there. And I had never met Paul before and he's a climbing legend. So I got to send this route and then go like sit at Paul's feet while he told me stories for the next several hours, which was just felt really special. And I felt really lucky to, to be in that situation, you know, totally again, totally brought to the whole thing by, by hip hop. Like mm-hmm. If I hadn't been rapping about Todd, there would have been no dinner with Paul years later. What inspired you to write the song about Todd? I mean, mm-hmm. had you been following him and his career? Yeah. Um, you know, what was that kind of like for you? So I used to spend a lot of several weeks every summer in Vitavu. I had just, I had found my first climbing trip out of Kentucky, Ohio region was with a friend named Chuck who was on a tour through Wyoming and Colorado cities doing uh, interviews for the police forces in these places. He, it was like his dream to be a policeman his whole life, and he wanted to be a policeman in Wyoming. Like he thought he was a cowboy, you know? <laughs> and, and he had broken up with his girlfriend the day before the trip, and she was supposed to go with him. So they had all these hotels booked and all of this already, So he called me up and said, hey, I know you're into rock climbing. I know they have rocks out there. If you want to go, the trip is free. All you have to do is pay for what you eat. I was like, I'm in. We get out to Cheyenne. That's where his first interview is. And we see mountains in the distance. And we're like, let's drive that direction. (laughs) And the first thing we see right off the highway is Vitavu. So we pull in there and I just fall in love with the place. So I spent at least two weeks there every summer for probably 12 years, 12 or 13 years. Mm. And because Todd went to school at UW, his name was all over the guidebook. Yeah. And he was, you know, a big name in the climbing world anyway. So I was reading a lot about his adventures, but I felt this like connection to him because he had spent a lot of his early days like building through the grades in Vitavu uh, with Paul. So I was out there doing the same things and I would try to repeat his roots um, that he had put up. And, yeah. and it felt like this sort of fan- phantom mentor relationship. Like I'd never met the guy. He had no idea I existed, but I felt like I was like following in his footsteps while making myself better the same way that he had improved, you know, when he was a young guy. Yeah, so. Yeah. And I knew he was in Lander, and I would see posters about the Climbers Festival uh, at the gear shop in Lander, or in Laramie, every year when I was there. So I had always wanted to go over there, but I was so in love with Vitavu that I just couldn't bring myself to leave and drive across the state. Uh, And then when he died, uh, it just, it really struck me. Um, 
more so maybe than a lot of other, uh, a lot of deaths of even people I knew um, mm. just as a, as a tragedy. And then I was walking through an airport and I have, I have this magazine here somewhere. I was walking through an airport. I saw a magazine and the cover, I think it was a men's journal. And the cover said, death of the world's greatest rock climber. And I'm kind of a, like, I want to argue. I love arguing with people. I love arguing with articles and experts. You know, I just love to try to pick things apart. Yeah. Um, including myself. I love to rethink my own ideas. But I was like, I need to read this article because I'm sure that they're getting it wrong. Mm. It's this mainstream publication. They don't know anything about rock climbing. They're, they're fucking something up. I got to read this. Right. So I bought the magazine. And I flipped it open to the cover page for the article, and it's this really beautifully done watercolor of Todd falling with his harness broken. And I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, it's make, it like, makes me emotional now thinking about it. Yeah. There's part of me that's going, this, is, this painting is really well done. You know, this is how I'm making my living at the time is, right. is painting. So I'm, I see that. But then I'm like, the subject matter is really callous. Like this, this guy had a family. What, right. you know, what do they think when they see this? So I took it to work with me. And one of the artists that I worked with who I really admired, I showed it to him. I was like, what do you, what do you think of this? And he immediately said, he's not falling, he's floating. It's like, oh. Maybe he is. Within a few days of him saying that, I heard this song from Misty Murphy, another climber. Um, and in the song, she, sa she sings Endlessly Floating. And immediately, all these connections started forming. And I, I went home and I chopped up her beat and, or chopped up her song. And I made a beat with it and started writing this song about Todd, you know, this person I'd never met. Because of a, a really poorly written magazine article. Whoa. Yeah. So what is it like now being so close with his family? Yeah. For you? It's interesting. Um, I don't even really know how to, like, it feels like I know him, you know? Yeah. And I've had lots of conversations about him. And, you know, Amy and I have had some really deep talks. And I feel really grateful like i don't it's interesting i don't necessarily hold people up on these like pedestals the same way that i did when i was you know young 20s and a teenager yeah. like I, I i see the humanity of people in a, in a different way i see them as more human but i also recognize that there were all of these things that had to click into place for me to end up here and he's very present in our lives, you yeah. know, um, you know, Annalisa was the nanny for their kids. And now Hannah is, you know, she comes over twice a week to watch my baby and I work with Amy on the Houlihan. And so he's, he's very present here. And I don't, I don't know. I don't know. The whole thing is surreal, but like anything else that is surprising and surreal, it's become life you know it's just this thing that i'm living now i don't know i don't there, you know there's no like bigger there's no bigger thing i wish i could have met him i yeah. think that's all it comes down to i wish i could have met him because the people that he brought into my life are really special to me 
Have you heard the cowboy poem? <laughs> I think I have. It's, I have not. I've got it recorded. It's on our, I think it's on the Plugtone Audio channel, Plugtone Outdoors. That was a gift to the lander climbing community after year one. When I came back for year two, I wanted to give something to the community because they had been so welcoming the the first year. Mm. So I went through all the guidebooks um, for all the local areas, uh, Todd and Paul and Steve and Frank Dussel and all the guys who developed this area were so like so into the cowboy names and you know these really dramatic names for the roots that the story basically wrote itself um mm. so what i did was i went through all of those put together a a story about uh, a gambling cowboy who falls in love in the traditional cowboy poem style yeah. Using, I think, a hundred and there are like 160 root names in the poem, something like that. But that was like taking the work that those guys had done. It was like sampling in hip hop. Totally. Know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like taking the work they had done and reconfiguring it to make a new thing and, yeah. and then give it to this community. Dude, you are the coolest. You just got like <laughs> stacks and stacks of stuff that, that you have accomplished and done and in a way that is, uh, like to be in Wyoming and to to uh, be as involved in hip hop already is like is a, a crossing of things that are. I mean, I can't speak for you, but that feels unnatural to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, if, I want to know that about you too. Like, I'm not going to ask it on here because mm-hmm. I want to have you on season two of Hip Hop Taught Me Everything. To, oh my god! And okay. I want to know there about how you got into hip hop being in Lander. But just recently, I was on a hip hop podcast called Destroy All Podcasts, and they asked me, like, is, what's the scene like in Lander? Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, there's not really much of a Wyoming hip hop scene that I know of. Yeah. You know, but there are these, there are these young guys here who are doing the fucking thing. And I mentioned mm-hmm. you and I mentioned Wolf. Word. Yeah. Um, you know, when right. I was moving to Wyoming, it was like, uh, what's, what's there for me other than climbing? Totally. And still, still, I feel trapped sometimes. Right. Like, I wish there was more live music I wanted to see. And I wish there was an Indian restaurant, you know? Mm-hmm. But no, totally. So, yeah. Oh, boy, so right I wish there was an Indian restaurant. <laughs> I think Wyoming hip hop is so funny. Like, the earliest memory that I have of ever of a Wyoming hip hop artist would be Biomecha mm. in Jackson. I don't know if you're if not you're familiar. familiar. Mm-hmm. Biomecha. Yeah, I'll try and send you some Biomecha stuff. The thing is, like, Biomecha sounds different. Like, this Jackson, this sound that they, like, had in Jackson sounds different than, I think, a sound that uh, Wolf and I have. Like, and Mm -hmm. I'd like to think that it feels like kind of like a Lander sound. And then even even more so, I have to give a shout out to to this guy named Gentry Fox, who's in Rock Springs. And there's, like, a whole crew... Of of rappers in Rock Springs, and that shit sounds even different. Mm. Um, in a way that is, I, that's just like exciting, and also like an interesting thing to have to navigate. Because if you want it to sound like true, and ha- want it to sound like I don't know, it has a strong sense of what it is. I guess how do you do that if you're a, live in Wyoming and you came up in Wyoming, but you also love hip hop that way, and so. I think I think what you do is really brilliant in that way. I, I don't think Wyoming is in my soul enough for me to do that. 
but the references you bring in every time I hear a Wyoming reference in your music, which is often, mm -hmm. it makes me smile every time mm. because it's it's not something I expect. You know, it's really unexpected when I hear Wyoming references and mountain references in hip hop. Yeah, but I love it, man. I think that means more to me than than I could that I could put in words. And even just like I, I was, I was hanging with May and Oakley and Sam last night, and May said something. Even coming from you, who I feel like is, in a sense, like like I look up to you, and and, and like a, like, and we were sitting around, and May was kind of like, you know, that Chris doesn't, Chris isn't just like handing out compliments no, and like talking. I don't about about shit, but she told me that you really dig the Den Woody stuff, and that means a lot. I really do. You know, it's so good. And I don't, Thanks. I don't hand out compliments. I don't. I, I don't blow smoke. Like if I don't like if I don't like a person, if I don't like a thing they make, I'm just not going to say anything. Mm -hmm. Like I I just don't have time in my life or space in my life for relationships that that aren't meaningful, you know? Yeah. So I don't try to to cultivate those. And I don't pretend that I'm going to. Sure. It's just I mean, that's a survival mechanism, I think. You know, the neighborhood I grew up in, the parents that I had were very bad parents. And I was, I was living by myself when I was 16. Like I, I lived in a park when I was 16. Mm. And it was a survival mechanism. Like if you're a person who isn't going to inspire me in some way or be meaningful to my life, you can go away. Like I, yeah. I don't have time to pretend I like you, you know? So she's right. I don't, I don't hand out compliments like and appreciate what you do and what Wolf does. And, and I appreciate the, I appreciate this podcast. Like I've loved listening to Dear Lander. I don't leave my house very much these days be, <laughs> unless it's to go climbing. So it's been fun to like get a window into the rest of Lander, you know, into, into the characters who are here. Like the, the baseball episode, the, oh, that's, the woman yeah, talking. That was so interesting. That was so fun. And unexpected. That yeah. one was super unexpected. For me, I mean, yeah. you know, you just you don't think about like that kind of epic professional I know. thing happening here, really, which also does lead me to a question about you had mentioned like sometimes you feel trapped in Lander mm. as an artist. And so I'm curious, you know, how you work yourself through that, because we've had that conversation as well. Like totally. it's such an interesting dichotomy to love a place and understand how special it is and also to love a place and feel completely trapped or unfulfilled artistically because yeah. you do have to build it yourself. And so what is that like for you? How do you work yourself through and also like continue to love being here? I'm still figuring it out. It's definitely a like pre 2020, I really loved it. And then the response that I saw to the, the black lives matter protests here and in Riverton left me a little disheartened. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like, I don't think I realized how white it was, if that, yeah. you know. Yeah, absolutely. I knew how white it was. I didn't know how white it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think we all kind of had that moment. Yeah. Right. I, I, I definitely made my wife a little uncomfortable during that time because I was, I was going pretty hard. Like, I was pretty angry at a lot of people and letting it be known to them that I was angry. So she got pretty uncomfortable and I got pretty disheartened about Lander in general. But then as I, you know, look at it 
as I back up off of it and look at it with a, a wider lens, it's like everywhere is this way to some degree. I'm just missing some things that that I wish I had, some some comfort things that I wish I had, yeah. you know. And Annalise's parents are here, so that's why we we moved here to begin with. She wanted to be closer to her parents. Um, and I enjoy being close to them as well. Um, because I, you know, I didn't grow up with a family. I, I never really had a a family per se. My daughter, you know, I have a 25 year old daughter and now I have an 11 month old daughter and my 25 year old has a three year old. So I have a granddaughter. They're my family, yeah. you know? Yeah. So it's interesting now being part of, of my wife's family. Um, so, so I enjoy being here in that regard as well, but it is something I'm, I struggle with daily. Like, do I want to raise a daughter in Wyoming? I don't know. Yeah. Like there's some reasons not to, you know, yeah. there's some great reasons too. There is an aspect of this town that reminds me of like my childhood, like the freedom to just ride your bike around the streets, you know, and go play with kids and mm -hmm. to not have to worry so much about like as a parent to not have to worry about where your kid is at. You know, yeah. because, you know, everybody on the street and everybody's watching out for them. And, you know, there's that aspect of it that I love and I wouldn't want to give up. But then there are the bigger political issues that I'm like, it's going to be up to me even more to make sure that I'm giving my daughter the values that she needs and making her letting her understand her voice matters, you know, and and that the the voices of the people saying the other things maybe don't matter as much. So I think that's how I'm working through it is I know I can be a strong influence on her. I've got my own opinions already. No one's going to change them, you know? So I'm not worried about me as much. I can go to Denver if I want to hear music or uh, go to Salt Lake or, you know, if something's coming through Missoula, you fucking let me know and I'll come to Missoula. Yeah. Word, okay. um, Great place to be too. Yeah, yeah. I can go places and get the things that I need. And I know I can be and my wife can be an influence on on Harper as she grows up. So right now, that's how I'm working through it. That you said awesome. you guys have had this conversation, too. How are you? Like, you're both very involved in being creative and making art. It can very much seem like this is a tiny little bubble and I mean, it is geographically even yeah. hard yeah. to get out of this place. So yeah, sometimes you're like, oh, I really am in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We've definitely talked about this in the fact that you just growing up here, you just learn that you have to build it. You have to be the one to do the thing, which can sometimes be exhausting, you know, yeah, where you're like, oh, I sure. wish I could be a part of art that I didn't make <laughs> you know yeah. or like i wish i could be a part of a project where i wasn't leading the thing that's and one of the things i love about the hulahan is i was yeah. just brought in to record it yeah like that was my entry into it was amy was like you have a sound system can you just come and maybe record it too yeah like sure i'll sit in the back and i have no other responsibilities other than to press record and that's fantastic yeah and i mean there are wonderful things about building it yourself, right? Like I've yeah. learned so much about myself and how to create things and how to bring people in. And, you know, you, you learn a, a bunch of great skills, but I think like, that's kind of the thing, right? Is like, it is nice to be able to go somewhere else and see art that isn't yours. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And that's kind of how you cope. And not everyone is so lucky to be able to afford to do that, you know, then being able to come back and say like, okay, I want to give the community art is the thing, right? That like keeps you kind of wanting to do it and and be here and bring something in that is important and powerful and gives other perceptions and aspects to what you know. I mean, like even thinking of myself, I've talked to Jordan about this, but thinking of myself, because I grew up in Pavilion mm. in Kinnear. So very, very rural comparatively you're even in, to you're Lander. In big town now. Yeah. Like this is like, <laughs> wow, you had a class of 200. I had a class of 30, right? And yeah. um, just thinking about who I was and, and how much theater gave me as far as growth and understanding a world outside of that area. I still was like very sheltered and not great, right? Like I I just didn't understand the world at all. Yeah. And so having the privilege to go out in the world and learn and then come back and be like, okay, I know that this is really important because without theater and without music, I would not have had an understanding of the world at all mm. outside of here. And so that's, I think it's just a really important thing to be able to bring it home. I, I love the that you like found, you know, I have to build it. We have to build it ourselves sort of ethic. Yeah. You know, the, the, the town I grew up in was very sheltered. I was the first of the first generation who went to college from our town. And most of the people I grew up with and who lived in that town when I was growing up still live in that town. You know, they, they never left. I didn't know anyone at the time who had been outside of like Ohio, Indiana, Kentucky, you know, when I was yeah. a kid, I remember once I was old enough to drive, I remember driving to this lake that was near where I grew up and realizing that that's where my parents took us on vacation. I don't know if they like drove in circles to make it seem like we were going further away or not, <laughs> mm. but it was like 10 minutes from my house. Yeah. And, and I thought it was like this like long trip to go to this lake and that was our vacation you know but that i sort of learned that same thing from that neighborhood like if if i want anything i have to make it myself you know i i have to get involved in it somehow okay just thinking about like kind of the honesty and picking honest sounds and honest things to talk about in music in particular yeah and i you know what i think dear lander is like it's a love letter to this town right yeah that was exactly when we were trying to figure out the name, yeah, that's exactly what we said. We're like, well, it's kind of a love letter, right? And I think a love letter town. has to be honest and like, here, yeah. here are also your shortcomings, you know? Absolutely. Well, shout out to Griffin Lehman. I mean, they were let me know straight up in the, in the DMs and in person, and mm -hmm. also like when we asked that that is one side of the coin, you know? Like, I feel like it would be a disservice to not also be be critical. And that's also like in Mortimer Heights on, I think of like the crux of the album, like the song on Mortimer Heights is, uh, have you ever seen a play so loving, but it's so ugly. Like it mm. is so, it would be a disservice to not mention mm. and not explore. And um, if we were to just glaze it over, that would be, it would be a disservice. Yeah. yeah, I, th yeah. I mean, I think when you, when you really deeply care about something, you have to recognize you know pay attention to its deepest flaws as well mm -hmm. i'm not sure you really care about something if you're not also looking at its flaws sure yeah i think if you're just glazing over those things it's a, a false sense of love we're just lying to ourselves. yeah 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 and we do love lander 
And we also realize like how hard it is mm-hmm. to live here sometimes yeah. and to be here sometimes for lots of different reasons. You know, I mean like this winter being one of them, no right? Shit. Like, yeah, y'all like, just, uh, like it was one no of those things shit. where it's so many people I've talked to, you know, I thought about just getting in my car and like driving and just never coming back, you know, because <laughs> Except you, just, for you couldn't drive you anywhere. You couldn't get anywhere because we were so <laughs> stuck. Right. And like, those are those things where it was like, this is really hard because we don't have any sort of like major amenities to really distract us from how trapped we currently are. Yeah. yeah. And so one of the great things is, is you kind of relied on your community for a lot of like uplift, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like that interesting thing where you're like, I, it is so desolate here that like, ah, and also being like, and some of the greatest people are here and are helping me like thrive yeah. in this time when it is so dark and cold and deep. <laughs> Yo, you know? and I mean, I think of like Mara Gans, like shout out to Mara. I know she would like have another perspective too, because I'm like watching her Instagram while all this shit is going down and she is like shredding pow. Oh, for sure. Day. Like in spots that you could never do that which unless really you get fun. like three feet of snow or whatever. Yeah, yeah, which was really fun to watch people do yeah. that too, because it was like, oh, you're seeing this whole thing where people never get to do this. So it was kind of like novel and beautiful. But then for people like me who do not do that Mm -hmm. and couldn't like get out hiking anywhere because you'd post hole up to, up to my waist. Like I just, it was hard. It was difficult. And it was like even walking the streets, like I had to have my yak tracks on or I would eat shit no matter where I'd go. And so it was just like, you know, these things where you're like, I love it here and I'm (laughs) dying. Like, you know, like just a, just an eye twitch of a, yeah, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and so it's like it you you do have to talk about which I mean, that's kind of like one of the goofy things to talk about. But I mean, yeah, like politically, sometimes it is really you're like, ooh, yikes, you know, yeah. like this is a conversation we definitely need to be having and not experiencing like a bunch of different things, mm-hmm. right? Cultures and people and mm-hmm. and stuff like however, Lander, I will say, because because of Knowles and because people do come here a lot, like you do get more of that than say pavilion. Totally. You know what I mean? Like I would say Lander definitely had like, even when I moved here in 2013, 14, Mm -hmm. it was like, Oh, I see why people really love it. It's young. People are from all over are Mm -hmm. coming here and sometimes they choose to stay forever, you know? And so you're getting a bunch of different perspectives that not other places in Wyoming are getting, which is a, a great thing and still yeah i i actually i had a really good opportunity this winter to like spend a lot of time on the roof shoveling so much time so <laughs> so much shoveling so i had a lot of opportunity to think about all of that you yeah. know like there's there's the very real feeling of being stuck here when you're on your roof shoveling you know another three feet of snow off of it you're like, it's just going to be two more inches. And then it's like 28 inches. And you're like, cool, yeah. cool, cool, cool. And it's 20 degrees below zero. Yeah. And... A little windy sometimes. <clears throat> I went to some dark places this winter, I think, just because of the like feeling trapped. Mm-hmm. But then also I came to this realization that, you know, right now uh, I have Harper is 11 months. She'll be, she'll be a year on the 3rd of June. It occurred to me early in the winter what this gift of like you are trapped in this house with this this baby who's learning new things every single day, a much more patient person than you were in your 20s when mm. your first daughter was born, you know? And I'm not worrying about 
how am I going to pay next month's bills? Where am I going to live next month? You know, I'm not worried about any of that stuff right now. So it's like this real gift to be in a place where I'm not yeah. super distracted by tons of things. And I get to notice and recognize all of these tender moments that are happening and watching her learn things in real time is so cool. And actually, you know, listening to the new stuff that you're doing with Dinwoody mm -hmm. and listening to the new things Wolf is doing mm -hmm. uh, and just getting to listen to more hip hop in general than I've gotten to listen to in the past few years since I've been really distracted by by climbing and getting to be outside all mm -hmm. the time, you know, it's really inspired me to get back into the lab and try to make some new things. Yeah, man. Having this new life experience, this like, oh, I'm, I'm a dad again, and I'm getting to see a different side of being a parent than I did in cool. my 20s, you know? I feel like you have to have life experiences to make music, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I sort of felt like I had written about all of my life experiences. Totally. But now yeah. I'm having this whole new life experience that means something. And I, I do think being trapped here for a while really highlighted a lot of that. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely agree. Like, dark places. I think everybody that I've talked to definitely was like, oh, it was dark. There were some dark <laughs> times yeah. this winter. Yeah. And mm -hmm. also out of that, like, we were absolutely able to have creativity, mm -hmm. right? Super great connection. Like some of the people that I really have great relationships right now is because like we were like, so what are you doing? You want to like <laughs> hang out? You want to like, do, you know, and, mm -hmm. and because it was like, oh, I don't want to be on TikTok because I feel like that's all I'm doing. Right. You were really able to disconnect from a lot of that too. And so there were also good things, right? It's the, it's the double side of the coin. You have to see both for sure. But sometimes, whew, <laughs> oh yeah i'm still i still am like is it really spring is there yeah, more snow no, coming like, yeah. like i still like can't quite believe that we're <laughs> in where we're at right now i'm like okay no more snow maybe i'm I'm curious about what you do because jordan and i both have the internet as an outlet like we're mm. we're making a thing that we can then put on the internet to spread to people when you're doing more live performance in a place this small, is there ever like a, like, do you wish for something bigger? Do you, do you enjoy the small town feel of it? I'm, I'm just curious. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the hard part about the small town is that everybody has a life, right? Like mm -hmm. I'm super, when we plan theater things, I'm really conscientious of people's time. Because we're all working adults. We all yeah. have families. Yep. And I realized, like, you're giving me your precious time to make this thing. I think that's very different than when you're in a, a bigger place where people are dedicating every second to making that art, right? Like, it's yeah. just like, oh, yeah, like, we'll be here for however long it takes or, like, whatever that looks like. And so I think that part is is wonderful because I also am like, I would like to live a life outside of theater right but i also really love it because there's so many of us who love to do it and you get to know them so well and then they just become a part of your life here it's really fun to build that community but it also is hard because here especially i mean like 
in other places in Wyoming, I do feel like you have, because there are more people there, <laughs> you, you have the ability to have an audience and you don't have to think so hard about like, my season needs to be wide enough that it's going to catch a wider audience, right? Like I have right. to have some sort of comedy that's PG for families. And I would also like to have a rated R right, swearing right. fest that talks maybe about more difficult or darker things. And then something in between where you can still have deep conversations, but that's also funny, right? So mm -hmm. I feel like that can be really hard sometimes, especially with time commitment can mm -hmm. be really hard. And then like when there's nothing happening, you know, we're all like living our own lives and then forget how wonderful it is to come back and do theater. So all in all, I really love doing theater in Wyoming and in a small town for that work-life balance. Because when I lived in New York, that was not a thing. Like sure. You're, you know, you're yeah. you're working so hard to maybe be in the room, to maybe be in the room, right? right? And there's right. lots of people who are also just like creating the art there, but it's it's a very different thing, right? They're like trying, that's how they're trying to make their living. Whereas like we have the luxury of being like, yeah, we of course want this to be successful. And of course we would love to get paid to do this, but we also just love to do it. Yeah. And so we don't have that you can maybe be a part of this. Mm -hmm. At least that was my experience in the city. I, I feel a lot of that. Like getting to be a part of the whole hand and making yeah. it, there's definitely some, like it energizes me a little when I see all the people who come out yeah. to the events. Yeah. You know, that's... Oh, that one's so fun too. That's very cool to to see because I can get lost in my like, I'm, I'm making the things I want to make. You know, I the the process of making them is what fuels me mm -hmm. and then i put it on the internet and i make the next thing and i don't have to look at the numbers i don't have to look at the downloads i don't care anymore i'm just like i want to make these things but it is really fun to see it out in the world you know and see people reacting in real time i mean so. yeah we could make tiktoks right we could do these things but i think most of the reason that we do theater is for that that connection. I mean, you can tell like when an audience is on, like your performance is so different compared to where an yeah. audience is a little more reserved. And it's like, I live for that. Like that is so fun because mm -hmm. every performance is different and you'll never get it back. You never get that moment back. So you have no choice but to be in it. Yeah. I think most people who do theater, that's the thing. That's like what we live for is like the, the process of it for one, because you're playing mm -hmm. with each other in person all the time. You're like, figuring out these little nuanced things and then you get inside jokes and it all comes through in the scene and it's like the cool thing. And then like once you're doing it, you're doing the same thing with the audience. So it's like you've built this thing and now it becomes something completely different. Cool. They're That's so weird. fun. Yeah. About the only, highly recommend about the only performances I do these days are, you know, occasionally I'll tell a story at the Hulahan, Um, and then I MC the climbers festival every year, which is really fun. Uh, I love the, I love to get to, you know, be on the mic and banter back and forth and uh, make fun of people or do whatever the hell I feel like doing. You know, mm -hmm. I, I love that. But, but I do miss the like stand up in front of the audience yeah. and, you know, now the pressure's on and you well, have to do the thing. Well, now you're telling me this, so just beware. All right. Mm -hmm. Steal you. I, I love collaborating on things, so. Perfect. I'm stoked. Okay, I have really three questions, but I will ask two just because grandma and grandpa are over at the house <laughs> at six o'clock for dinner. And I don't want to miss the rattlesnake queen. 
Yeah, definitely not. Or grandpa. Um, <laughs> first question, May mentioned last night something about cereal train. <laughs> Of course she did. <laughs> and she said that every time you guys hang out, or, uh, she's heard it probably. I mean, Sam was actually me, like, I've heard she's this. She's made me tell the story a lot, yeah. Do, do, do you want to tell <clears throat> the story of this? Yeah, and you know what? I've actually been thinking about this quite a bit lately, and I think it was my genesis. Mm. I think that moment taught me some really good things and some really bad things. It taught me that I am really cool under pressure. And that I can get away with shit. It taught me that the law really only is rigid if you want it to be. Mm. And that it can be really fun to do the wrong thing sometimes. Okay. I can't wait. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was a lot of my genesis. And what happened was uh, the neighborhood I grew up in was like a little, very blue collar, white neighborhood several factories like uh, around the neighborhood and all of the people who settled there were factory workers essentially they a lot of them came from Kentucky came from Appalachia to um to find jobs and they settled in this little tiny town and a railroad ran right through the town and we spent a lot of time playing on that railroad when i was a kid mm -hmm. there was a a neighborhood park and the railroad was right next door to the park so we start noticing there are these trains cars just parked there now and there was a railroad strike and they were they were striking against something that had to do with a, a crossing um, that the railroad companies didn't like what was what the township was planning mm -hmm. so they were protesting by just parking these railroad cars behind our park and i was like i need to know what's in those railroad cars <laughs> you know so my my friends and I, I'm like I'm like probably twelve years old at this mm -hmm. point, you know. We go maybe even younger, maybe ten. We go back behind the railroad cars and we're trying to figure out how to get in them. They've got these big locks on them. We eventually break the locks. I don't even remember how we got the locks broken. Maybe somebody brought a hacksaw and we spent a lot of time on these locks, hacksawing <laughs> them. We were back there for hours every day figuring out these train cars. And we get Two of the train cars open. One is filled to the doors with Apple Jacks, and the other is filled to the doors with Fruit Loops. Thousands of boxes of <laughs> Fruit Loops and Apple Jacks, <laughs> and every single box has a, a like. You remember those fizzy suckers? Yeah. yeah. They all had fizzy suckers in the bottom of the box. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, these were like my entrepreneurial. Uh, roots right here. I was like, fuck the cereal. Mm -hmm. Everybody bring a pillowcase and let's fill up pillowcases full of fizzy suckers and then we can sell them at school. You know, <laughs> if you can get a nickel for a fizzy sucker, you're going to be rich by the end of the week, you know, because we've got thousands of fizzy suckers. Yeah. Here. So we've got this string of neighborhood kids now. You know, there are probably 15 of us back there. Yeah. And I'm up on top of the train cars and the, the neighbors, the people who live across the street from the park, can't see anything that's happening because it goes houses, park, train car, us breaking into the train cars. And it's woods behind us. So we're just back there by ourselves for hours every day. Yeah. And, you know, as soon as school's out, we go to the park and we're there until dark. And what we're doing is people are handing 
or, or throwing cereal boxes up to the top and I'm opening them and dumping them out and putting suckers into pillowcases. <laughs> and we've just got this assembly line filling pillowcases full of fizzy suckers. And I came up with this whole story for all the kids because we were going home with boxes of cereal, you know, like, like you tell your mom that, you know, my mom started working at General Mills and all this cereal's free from her, mm-hmm. you know, and you tell your mom that this person's mom started working at, <laughs> you know. So we've we've all got our stories and we're telling our parents when we're bringing all these cereal boxes home and and we do this for days and days and days, you know, maybe weeks until every single box of cereal is either gone home with somebody or has been dumped out on the railroad oh tracks. Oh my God. <laughs> and it got to the point where you could be on top of the train car and jump off into the mountain of cereal. No way. And <laughs> swim out of Fruit Loops and Apple Jacks and like roll down the side of the cereal mountain and then climb back up and do it again. And you would go home covered in sugar, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god. We're <laughs> we're we made a lot of money first off off the fizzy suckers. I can't even tolerate the smell of Fruit Loops or Apple Jacks anymore. It makes me sick to my stomach mm. the second I smell it. If, uh, within the week or so, we're at the park, we're playing basketball. By this time it had rained and the mountain of cereal had become this sloppy Gooey. mess, Whoa. you know? So we had abandoned that. Train cars were still there, though, and the neighbors hadn't really noticed anything, as far as we knew. Well, this guy comes walking into the park, and as I see him walking in, I'm like, he's out of place. You know, he's got a suit on. He doesn't belong here. I've Mm -hmm. never seen this guy's face. And I'm like the de facto leader of this little band of 10-year-old criminals at this (laughs) point. So they're all just waiting for me to engage with the guy. And he walks over and I walk over to him. You know, he, he he looks like he wants something. So I walk over and he's like, you you guys seen anybody, you know, breaking into those train cars? And I was like, no, no, what, what why? And he's like, well, you know, there's a, a lot of money, you know, in the stuff that was in there and, and it's all been ruined. So And you're like, you mean fizzy suckers, you know, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I know. I got $20 in my pocket right here for those fizzy suckers. <laughs> But he hands me a card and he's like, well, if you guys, you know, hear of anything or see anything or if you remember anything, give me a call. And it's the FBI. Oh, my God. (laughs) Because I guess because it's a train and it's, you know, someone has jurisdiction over this train and we've taken I don't know how many dollars. I don't know what cereal sold for back then. I did the math several summers ago, and I can't remember what it was <laughs> of how many boxes fit into a standard train car. I can't remember what it is. It's like three or 4,000 boxes or something fit into a train car. So assuming each one was worth $3, maybe we ruined $12,000 worth of cereal or something. You know, this little band of 10-year-olds. <laughs> It created like a ball pit type situation where you were jumping off into the Apple Jacks. Oh, it was was amazing for a few days. But that was my genesis. So did y'all ever get, so did you ever get No one ever got in trouble. No way. No. Parents never knew. This can't be the first time. Am I, 
at, like dry snitching essentially Maybe. by asking you to <laughs> tell this <laughs> on there. I don't, I don't know what the statute of limitations is on train robbery, <laughs> but I essentially started my my life as a, a train robber. I think. Mm. What a heist! The last, wow. the last great American train robber. That's God. gonna be my yeah. next book. Yeah. Oh great. <laughs> busy suckers, Shit. man. Busy suckers. I don't know that I've had one <laughs> since then. I bet I ate 150 so fizzy suckers. How could you not? They were right in front of you. Over that week or two. That shit is wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you, you for so sharing so much that. for doing that and sharing. I should have known May would tell you to ask. <laughs> about uh, she was like, he has to tell the story. He has to. <laughs> and I, she was like, cereal. Something. I was like, should I just say, Chris, tell us the cereal story? <laughs> and she's like, yes, he'll know exactly what I mean. Uh, yeah. Um. <laughs> Here's my last question. Who is on your radar climbers that you are seeing coming up? Hip hop artists, whether it's like on a national or worldwide level or artists, not even just hip hop artists on a local level. Who's on your radar? What are you digesting right now? What are you really digging? Other than Den Woody, you mean? Seriously, though. Thank you. Thank you, guys. This feels, yeah. I'm going to have to like tell Liv, like, yo, you got (laughs) to. They're really, really pushing it. You're Thank making you. very cool shit. Yeah. You know what? I'm not paying a lot of attention to like pro climbers mm-hmm. anymore. There are definitely still climbers out there that I'm inspired by, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm paying more attention to the community and the issues in the community uh, than I am the pro climbers who just get to go climbing and push the limits of it. Yeah. Whenever they want to, you know, that's not that not that exciting to me anymore. So I don't really know climber wise. There are so many young climbers who are just incredible fucking athletes mm-hmm. that, that it would be so hard to name someone. Um, but music wise, I'm like right now I'm really digging into things that I've missed, things that have slipped past me. You know, because mm-hmm. there's so much music out there these days. Like when I started listening to hip hop, there was one record store that was about a 30 minute bike ride from the town I lived in. Mm-hmm. And I would ride my bike to that record store every week to see what the new tapes they got were, Yeah, you know. Um, and then I would put them in my Walkman and listen to them on my bike ride home. At the time, there would be like two new hip-hop albums a month now it's like there's what is it like a hundred thousand new songs get uploaded to spotify every day something like that for real yeah so there's so much new shit that i never knew about like Mm -hmm. this new this new billy woods and kenny siegel album it's awesome like i knew a little bit about billy woods but i had never really listened Mm -hmm. this album is incredible i know and it's it's like one of his most it could be like his most accessible too just because like I think Ethiop's last year was my like actual intro to Billy Woods and just the way that it was so God, very this, dense this taste, or this taste. God, this, this sounds just ugh. tastes like molasses. That's yeah. What it tastes like and like <laughs> swamp water. Yeah. <laughs> like there's so much of that that I need to listen to. Like Billy Woods has been around for 20 years or something. Right. Yeah. You know, like I remember hearing his name way back when because we we had a big hip-hop festival in cincinnati called scribble jam that Mm -hmm. you know there would be you know all the rhyme sayers crew were always there living legends would come out you know so there were all of these mega names there every year Mm -hmm. um who's who of underground hip-hop 
I would hear all of these names, but never get around to listening to the music because why would I listen to Billy Woods when there's the better version of him, Aesop Rock? You know, at least that was my like thinking at the time. Right. No, totally. Now I'm realizing what I missed. Yeah. And so I'm going back and listening to a lot of that. Cool. I've just recently discovered uh, West Side Boogie. Yeah. Familiar with West Side Boogie? I am familiar. I, I didn't know. And this last album is like, I think it was last year when it came out. It's like grown people hip hop. It's very cool. Mm-hmm. Man, I don't even know what's new. They're so, they're actually, I have like a, I won't call it a secret love affair because it's not secret at all. Like I, I also really love like really poppy hip hop. Mm. You know, I, I love the underground shit. I love lyrics. I'm all about lyrics, but I've spent a lot of time in clubs and dancing and I love really danceable hip hop. So mm. somebody like, Ice Spice, you know? Yeah, sure. Is amazing. I'm loving all the women in hip-hop right now. Yes. Like, that excites me a lot, seeing all these young women just taking the fucking throne away from whoever might have it. Yeah. That's fucking exciting to me. In the underground, it's listening to things I haven't listened to that I should have. Right. And outside of that, it's either old mainstays for me you know, mm-hmm. I've been listening to Good Kid, Mad City a lot lately mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Um, my 11-month-old fucking loves backseat freestyle. Really? Yeah. She goes crazy when it comes on. <laughs> she starts dancing and head nodding. She fucking loves it. But yeah, it's the new poppy women, uh, the Ice Spices, the Megan The Stallions, the- Cardi B. Cardi B. Cardi B's fucking Lizzo. amazing. God. L- Lizzo is an interesting story, actually. Um, I was a bi- I'm a big fan of Minneapolis hip hop in general. Yeah. And Lizzo's first album was produced by Laserbeak, who's a producer for Doomtree. And oh. and we're big Doomtree fans. Um we've been to a lot of Doomtree shows. Uh, my Doom. wife and I and my daughter. Story for you then. So we were really early listening to Lizzo and and I got I met Lizzo at a festival in Minneapolis and introduced her to my daughter because my daughter was a huge fan. Yeah. You know, before Lizzo became Lizzo, you know. Yeah, yeah. right. So damn. That's really yeah. cool. That is sick. She was just there at a at a, a hip hop festival. Actually, I think it was when Aesop Rock was performing. I saw Lizzo dancing right behind us and oh went my over God. and just, you know, Dude. told her I was a fan and introduced my like 18-year-old daughter to her because she was a mega fan. Whoa. Yeah. Holy smokes. That's, Yo, yeah. When when Sarah amazing. and I were living in Austin, we volunteered at um it was the book festival going on downtown in Austin. I had like known Minneapolis artists, but I wasn't I hadn't listened to Doomtree and I had only heard of Doomtree. I was like Brother Ali. Yeah, mostly and and Aesop Rock, but but like a ton of Brother Ali. And I coincidentally ended up at the tent, and I was stationed at the tent where Dessa mm. was speaking. Dessa's fucking amazing. And I got to meet Dessa, and I didn't even like really know who Dessa was. I was like, oh, Doom Tree, cool. Yeah, but it, it hadn't. We've gone to now a I'm lot beating of myself Dessa up shows. for it, and I God, like I don't. It, it was like I, I really kind of yeah beat myself up for it now I, when i think back to it it's like hard to even think about it just yeah. because like but uh if it was i mean like brother ali two years ago walked into black coffee roasters in missoula 
and I thought I was going to fall out of my chair. <laughs> I was like, because there's not a whole lot of dudes that look like Brother Ali. No. And I introduced, in and I was like, oh my I introduced God. my daughter to him once years ago at Scribble Jam. Yeah. And she was scared of him. Oh, really? You know, she was like four yeah. at the time, you know, but she was scared of him because he's such an, you know, he, I mean, he's albino. He's yeah. interesting looking and it freaked her out a little bit. Uh-huh. And I think the voice freaked her out too, because she'd heard it so much in my car. Oh my you know? God. Yeah. It was like right after Shadows on the Sun had come out and I was mm-hmm. playing it constantly. And then I'm like, and she knew the lyrics, like she would sing along in the car and it, it freaked her out quite a bit. Word. <laughs> yeah. What a gentle, good, like. Totally. I've seen him angry though. I've seen I, him angry. I, I did see him angry at a Fort Collins show when I went with Josiah and this dude was jumping around in the back, pushing people over and shit. And he stopped the song and said, chill the fuck out, bro. It's not that type of party. <laughs> and so now Josiah and I'll go, chill the fuck out. Not that type of party. That's amazing. <laughs> Um, an open mic ego walked into, and I like stood yeah. outside and chatted with open mic for a while. And he's what a good guy. He's just a, what a cool really guy. great human. Yeah, I, I'm really. definitely listening, like going back in open mic eagles catalog <clears throat> recently and listening to more of that. I've been listening to like Brick Body Kids a little mm-hmm. more than I did when it came out. It's one of the things I'm like realizing I don't like about music right now is that I. I don't have the time to digest it because there's new music coming out again. It's like an album comes out and then mm-hmm. two weeks later, there's another album that came out and then another album that comes out and it's overstimulating. Yeah. Yeah. I don't get to like ride around in my car for a whole summer and listen to one album anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I remember, I remember so distinctly when doggy style came out. Mm. Like I was a, you know, that was my senior year of high school. Uh, when Get Rich or Die Tryin', 50 Cent came out. Mm-hmm. That was like the album of the summer. And I just got to listen to those front to back over and over and over and over and over until I knew every word and you know every musical cue on the album. And, and then the next album's not even out yet. Yeah. but And you could like die. Yeah. No, totally. Now I just don't get to do that. So I'm going back and listening to the albums that I've heard, you know, like Good Kid, Mad City. Mm-hmm. Like Brick Body Kids, Still Daydream, um, a lot of those albums that I just didn't get to really, really digest. That's what I'm trying to do now. Mostly because I've run out of podcasts to listen to, and I'm, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm going back to music. So, okay, the final question: mm-hmm. What is your favorite Lander smell? You know what? I don't have a ton of like. I'm not. A, I don't have a good sense of smell. Mm-hmm. I don't have memories attached to smell. Interesting. Um, the only smell I can think of I have any memories attached to is cut grass. Oh, mm. good um, smell. That, that good reminds smell. me of my grandpa. But I can tell you a, a lander sight that gets me oh, excited every yeah. single year and gets me the same way excited every single year. And that's the first shooting stars of the season, like the wildflower shooting stars. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The that's first one. ones I see every year, I get so so excited and I'm like laying on the ground in the sagebrush taking photos, you know, for the next hour as soon as I see them. Oh, and I, I was out that. hiking with Harper a couple of weeks ago and we saw the first ones. And so I got to like show her 
like I got her out of her carrier and sat her on the ground like, look at this, you know, and she's she's like doesn't know what the hell it is. But it was so special to me to get to show her that. Oh, I love that. And I can't wait till next year to see them for the first time again so I can show her again. They're my favorite. Beautiful. Dude, thanks so much for being on. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you guys for the conversation. You know, along with the like re-digesting albums, I'm I'm realizing how much it means to have long conversations with people again. Mm. You know, it's it's one of the reasons I really started to love podcasting was because I got to have these long conversations. And then 2020 became this year where all of a sudden everybody was connecting remotely and it's easier to make a podcast just connecting remotely. So I was doing a lot of that. And I'm I'm really loving being able to have long, in-depth conversations, especially with people I haven't had long, in-depth conversations with before. So thank you guys. And we'll be in touch. Yeah, we will. Let's all Mm -hmm. make some things. That sounds great. This is Jordan. This is Amara. This is Deerlander. We'll talk to you soon.